I love that voice, I tell you. <laughs> anyway, I don't know about you, but I love this time of the year because, now several reasons, but one of the things is I love the Christmas songs. I just love to hear them, and they just, they sound, and all oh, this is wonderful. Because it reminds us why we're here. That is to adore him, to adore the Lord Jesus Christ, to just embrace him. And so pray that we do that every, every day of this next coming um, months and years ahead of us. Anyway, this morning, you have your bulletin, a uh, couple of announcements there. The ongoing announcements about um, the kids' church and also um, the Iwana clubs that meet on Wednesdays from 6 through 8 p.m. And, and so if you have children that you'd like to bring to Iwanas, we encourage you to do so. Or if you'd like to, which I'm sure they wouldn't, mine is help during the awareness clubs and so we encourage you to do that do that and if you'd like to you can pray about it and, and the Lord may lead you in that direction because throughout the ministry of Paso Bible Church you know we we have uh, the availability for you to to fit in so we encourage you to do that the other thing is also the Christmas party coming up next week and there is a sign-up sheet up there for your convenience and like always here at Paso Bible Church we have two ways of giving to to the ministry, and that is our box in the back for your donations, and also through the website. So if you'd like to do, we take advantage of either one, we encourage you to do so. Uh, this morning, as we continue in the service, um, would you turn to your Bibles uh, this morning in preparation for a pastor's message to uh, Isaiah chapter 11? And notice I do say Bible because we are a Bible church, so which, however you want you know, to look up those verses is okay. Anyway, I'll be reading verses 1 through 5 this morning out of Isaiah chapter, 5, chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of, stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness, faithfulness the belt of his waist. Let us pray. Our Father, as we read these words, it, they're encouraging because, Father, we know we serve a living God, a God that is faithful, a God that is righteous. And, Lord, throughout the Scripture, you're reminding us, especially in the New Testament, of the fact that the Lord is coming back again. You call that the blessed hope. And so, Lord, for us, it is a hope, a hope that one day we be reunited with our Savior in heaven and continue praising him father so we thank you lord for that continual hope we know lord that we live in a wicked world and we need to be strengthened not physically but mentally lord and that is through your wisdom and understanding that we rely totally on that and this morning father we do rely on that because of the message that our pastor is bringing to us give us understanding give us ears father to to learn about your wisdom 
and apply it in our lives. Lord, so thank you so much for this morning. May we continue to just lift up the name of Jesus in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Good morning to everyone. Would you stand with us for a time of worship?
Good morning. Hope you all are doing well. I know uh, a lot of people are sort of sick. I've heard a lot of that here lately, so I hope you're doing better than sort of sick. Um, this morning we have a couple things. Uh, Ernie mentioned that the sign-up sheet was out front, and I made him a liar because I stole it. Actually, I didn't steal it. They told me to steal it. So is that stealing? Really? Not really. Uh, the women have asked me to pass this sign-up sheet around uh, because we... It's a potluck, but we leave it less up to luck for Christmas, okay? So um, we get better signups if I pass it from up here uh, the week before. So if you're not on here and you want to be on here, if you're coming and you need to bring some, please let us know. We try to be a little more organized than normal. So Kaylee, would you pass this around before you head off to Children's Church? Are you going to Children's Church? Because that's the next thing. Got to go to Children's Church. All right, thanks. We can always, Kaylee's very dependable helper around here enthusiastic. And so we're thankful for her. But children, y'all can go to Children's Church. Uh, now is the time to go. And uh, yeah, there they go. Uh, another thing I want to mention that we have coming up, well, there's a couple things, and uh, they might have been in the bulletin. If they're not in the bulletin, it's my fault. Um, but uh, one is that our men's breakfast is going to be January 6th. Uh, first time in a while that we've had one of those, but it's coming up January 6th, and so uh, keep that in your calendar. We will, we will have it in the bulletin, and we'll even have a sign-up sheet coming up shortly here, probably starting next week. Uh, we try not to have too many sign-up sheets out front at one time, right? So we didn't want to have people think they were signing up for the Christmas dinner and then bring cranberry sauce to the men's breakfast or something, right? Or fish. You know, Jesus is the only one that could get away with fish for breakfast, you know? Um, anyway, I actually have a son who eats salmon for breakfast if it's around. He's weird. Um, but, um, yeah, so we're going to put that out. But I want you to put that on your calendar. The other thing we want to put you on your calendar, we have a busy year coming up next year. Um, we have, uh, um, I think, three, three couples 
that have, have dates on which they are getting married next, next year. Um, so, yay! Yay! <laughs> Praise the Lord, we're happy about that, yay. Y'all missed your cue. All right, but we're happy about that. Um, with that in mind, I am, I am strategizing how we're going to get all the kind of the premarital counseling stuff done, which we, we do really try to do. Um, and so we're going to start a class, actually, uh, in the Sunday school hours, my intention. Uh, we're thinking in February. We're working out the details because I can't teach two Sunday school classes at once. Um, so we're trying to work out that schedule, but it will probably be in February. I want to open that up to you. Um, obviously, we want the folks that are engaged, engaged, you know, on the calendar to come. That's what it's for. Um, if you're thinking about getting married and want to get married in the next, can we say 18 months or something? Because I know there's some of y'all that are sneaky. <laughs> you're sneaky. Don't lie to me. I know some of y'all are sneaky. And if you're being sneaky and you want to be a little less sneaky, you can still sign up for the class, okay? If you are getting married and maybe you're thinking about getting married, that's the way it's set up, actually. The, the curriculum is for people who are thinking about getting engaged, even. Um, and so we want to open the class of that. So keep that in mind. Again, the date will be a little bit TBD um, based on what uh, we can do as far as that Sunday school hour. Um, and there'll be a couple other things that are going on early in the year, next year, um, uh, that we'll mention as we get closer. So, where were we? Here we are. We're getting ready for a worship service message here. The Righteous Branch. Uh, today is actually the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, as we mentioned last Sunday, that's one year every once in a while where the Sunday after Thanksgiving is not the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is, is unique, actually. It's not a well, we start singing Christmas songs already in Advent. Some of the Christmas songs are actually Advent songs, and we don't know it anymore. Like, Joy to the World is an Advent song, right? Uh, this is an Advent passage we're looking at. We're looking ahead to the glorious return of Christ to set up his kingdom. That's, that's what we're doing. These are the passages we're going to be looking at. We're taking a break um, from Second Peter, which tells us a lot of how we're supposed to live now, right? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. We want to learn about how to live now, how to, what teachers to listen to, how to discern doctrine, those things. But we never want to forget. All right. We never want to forget. Maybe there was an alarm. Maybe they're trying to remember the kingdom is coming. I don't know what it was. That's okay. Um, we don't want to forget that there's a re the reason for that is not that we're supposed to do it in perpetuity. Your perseverance is not de designed to be perpetual. You are commanded to persevere in this climate, in this context, because of the future that is coming, and it is a glorious future. And so we're going to look at that on this first Sunday of Advent. Um, you know, people don't love it sometimes. Um, Y'all do that Advent thing we hear occasionally? Because I'm preaching on Jeremiah. So it may be a while, guys, before I start an expository series on Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. It might be a while, but we're going to look at Jeremiah today with that in mind. Uh, a lot of Bible people, church people don't love it. Um, they, they think I ought to just go ahead and get to Christmas. Um, and some people are kind of crotchety, you know, and, and I, my spiritual gift is crotchetiness, guys, okay? Um, it, it's sarcasm and crotchetiness. You're welcome. 
uh, along with pastor teacher. I think that kind of has to go together, actually, a little bit. You have to not care too much about certain things. Uh, but people get crotchety about it. They'll be like, well, that's not, that's not commanded in the Bible. And they're right. They're right. Neither is Christmas commanded to be celebrated. You know how we know we can, we can celebrate Christmas? Because there's an overwhelming example <laughs> of joyfulness, celebration, of covenant fulfillment that is presented in Scripture. There's never a command to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. There's copious examples of it in the record. And that's how we realize that we're supposed to celebrate the kingdom that is coming before it has come. And that's one of the main things we're going to mention today, right, is how to know the difference between when the kingdom is here and when it's not. Um, but you won't find a command to celebrate Christmas. Uh, I'll, I'll go so far, you won't find a, command to celebrate, find a command to celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday either. The way the church did that was to celebrate every Sunday. So if you want to go there, we can go there. But I don't think most of y'all want to go there. Know what I mean? But there are examples of what we're doing, and that's okay. We're, we're, we're able to do that. Following the examples in Scripture. So we have the same thing. It's not pre-Christmas, um, really. It's looking way beyond to the second coming of Christ in glory, the kingdom, into eternity, um, and a lot more of the Bible by volume is devoted to that than it is to the birth of Jesus Christ. A lot more. Virtually all of the Old Testament and much of the New Testament is focused on the future kingdom that is to come, that is not here now, that we still want, that we're still longing for and the coming of Christ that brings it. It needs to be celebrated. Because as I pointed out, if I tell you guys week after week after week that Second Peter says, suck it up and do these things, you may think that that's interminable. You may think, when is that ever going to be over? Is there ever a time where we get any relief? Is there any time where we, where we are glorified? Is there any time where we, we don't have to buckle down? that way? And the answer is yes. It's not just an endless cycle of revolving around and around and around like the religions of the world teach you, right? That's what almost all of them teach is that it's just around and around and around and around and around and around. It's the perpetual motion machine and some of them in which you might come back as a grasshopper. And some people like that idea. Grasshoppers have it easy. All they got to do is avoid the chickens. They don't have politics. They don't have a government. They don't have war. They eat. They die. They stay away from the chickens. They have a happy life. And that's their idea of eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever. That is not what we teach. That's not what we understand, of course. But we do need to celebrate the coming kingdom there's a purpose, a plan, a, a target, even a goal that God himself has established. And that's, that's what we're going to look at today and in the next weeks of Advent. 
And today we're going to do that in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33. Now, that's not frequently at the top of people's devotional lists, as I pointed out. I have no more than a few people to start Jeremiah and not be able to finish it. The, the emotional burden is just too great, frankly. Uh, same thing with some people in Hosea, right? They just can't finish. Uh, but we're not going to try to teach the whole book of Jeremiah, but we do need to remember, right, that there is, there's different truths here. At all times, we need to remember, and we focus on this a lot in Sunday school, because we've been marching through from Exodus onward here for the last couple of years in Sunday school. We have to stop and remind ourselves that no matter what Israel is experiencing, whether it is discipline in the form of even extreme exile, or it is blessing in the land where they're flowing with milk and honey and got plenty of wine and plenty of food, plenty of babies, plenty of animals, at any time, they can look at their circumstance, including now, today, they can look and say, we are God's covenant people, and our covenant is intact, and it's permanent, and when God says something is unconditional, it is unconditional. Because way back, Moses said, you guys ain't going to be able to do this. As long as you walk with me and follow my commandments and and worship me and me alone, then you'll have blessing in the land. And when you don't, and you won't, <laughs> you'll be disciplined for it. But the discipline is evidence of the covenant as much as the blessing is. Does that make sense? I could say the same thing to my children. We're caveman parents. We spanked our kids. I could say that to my I say that because everybody thinks that that's barbaric. No. Um, it's not. But I say the same thing to you. Son, do you see me walking around Walmart spanking other people's kids? Y'all don't do that, right? That would be extremely stupid. That would be extremely unwarranted. You have no obligation to do that. Now, you might point and snicker, but most of us, when we have a kid that's an absolute train wreck in the middle of a retail establishment, start praying for them. Please, Lord, deliver them. Because we know how tough that is, right? We know, but it's not our responsibility. It's not our problem. We, don't, we may know what needs to be done, but it's not our job to do it. When God disciplines his children, they can have it, that same evidence. When he disciplines me, I can have that same evidence. And that's what Jeremiah teaches as well. Whether they're in the land or out of it, whether they're expecting to be in the land or expecting to be out of it, whether they're experiencing blessing or severe discipline, Israel can always know that they are God's covenant people. By covenant, we mean a promise. In Jeremiah's lifetime was a tough time. It covered a long series of kings actually. He lived a long time and ministered a long time, relatively speaking. But a dark time that was a fulfillment of prophecy. The greatest prophet that ever was in Israel until the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born of a virgin, prophesied that these events would happen. And so that's what he experienced. And it's no exception for God's permanent plan. Let's, let's read it here. Uh, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill 
the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. And in those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she will be called. Yahweh is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness, your translation probably says. Days are coming. Now that, it shows up about 16 times in Jeremiah that I counted. I, I could be off one or two. They don't teach math at seminary, right? I think it's 16 times. And I think seven of them refer to something else. Seven of them in Jeremiah are like, days are coming and you guys are going to hate those. Days are coming when you're going to be wiped off the map. Days are coming that you wish you had never lived to see. Days are coming. And it's not just Israel. <laughs> they actually, Jeremiah grids all the way to the other nations that are used to judge Israel. This is going to be bad. You're going to hate it. It's awful. It's devastating. It's devastating. Negative thing. Destructive judgment, exile, slaughter, devastation, and everybody involved. Now, in, at various times in Jeremiah's day, people might not have doubted that geopolitically. They might not have, depending on the historical powers that be. This was past the golden era of the monarchy, which we're in Sunday school, we're coming through 1 Samuel, and we're transitioning into that monarchy period. Uh, those were the glory days, and they were past. Days are coming, he says, but this is different. These are different, right? Um, two different references. Days are coming. In Jeremiah's day, they had another chucklehead. Now, some of y'all weren't here a couple weeks ago when we talked about the chuckleheads, the false prophets. The, there were 400 of them. Don't they always come in large groups? There's never just one. If there's just one, no problem. Just, you know, 400 chuckleheads takes offense to that. But Hananiah, right, is another chucklehead, another false prophet in the, the Jeremiah's time. Uh, and he arrives, Jeremiah puts a yoke on. Y'all know what a yoke is? You mostly see them at, like, restaurants hanging on the wall now because nobody plows with an ox or a horse. A yoke is something that you put on a draft animal in order that it would do work for you. They have to be trained to it, and it needs to be skillfully made so that they can, you can get the most work out of the animal. Jeremiah puts it on as an object lesson. So this is, how, this is what's going to happen to the people. Hananiah, the chucklehead, false prophet, breaks it off of him and says, no, you're a fool. Israel is the covenant people. Was Jeremiah arguing that point? Jeremiah wasn't arguing that point. He said, because you're the covenant people of God, this is going to happen to you. Because God has no children he doesn't discipline, because he has no children that he doesn't love. Hananiah countered Jeremiah and said, God would never do that to you. God would never do that to you. He always has an ice cream cone for you. 
People treat God that way. He's not your heavenly father for most people. He's your heavenly grandfather. Right? Right, grandfathers? Do your kids recognize I'm just a newly minted one. I, haven't, I don't have a lot of experience here. I just got one little baby grandson. We're expecting one or two more eventually. Eventually, maybe one or two. I'm not real experienced. But I know that when I went to my grandfather's house, a lot of people had a different opinion about my grandfather than I did, but I knew that the snacks were going to be awesome when I went to my grandpa Burden's house. I might have diabetes when I leave, but it was going to be good. That's how, and Hananiah taught something similar. You know, God's covenant means that you'll never have it. He didn't read the Bible. He didn't read the Torah. The Torah said, yes, that will happen. And what it means is that God is still working his covenant promises to you. What it means is that you have to experience the blessings of the land flowing with milk and honey, the discipline of being exiled out of it ultimately, and then he will bring the covenant to absolute fulfillment in the kingdom unconditionally in the future. You have to have both. Hananiah was one of the first cherry pickers of the Bible. Now, you find people that have mistaken themselves when they say that Israel has replaced the church. All they read is the blessing part, don't they? Mostly. Mostly. That's a real common thing. If they think that you're part of, if they think that the church has replaced Israel and somehow we're the kingdom, really bad kingdom, by the way, we pulled off here. Really bad. Really terrible. If that's the case, it's not. But I mean, if it is. Uh, all they want is the, they want the prosperity. And they don't look at the judgments that God pronounces. But Jeremiah makes fun of them. I love it when the prophets do that. Don't you love it? See, you guys don't have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. It's not a real spiritual gift, but I'm thinking it's supernatural in my case. You know? Oh, I hope you're right, buddy. I hope you're right. Let's find out, won't we? That's not pleasant for Jeremiah to be right. The guy starts prophesying from a pit in the ground. The near-term validation of the prophecy was the devastation. They could trust the future coming glorious kingdom because Jeremiah was right when he prophesied the destruction and the devastation and the cutting off of the kingdom at the time. But here in Jeremiah 33, this is towards the end of Jeremiah, (laughs) this is not the first time he's talked about this. He said, this is a good word. It's a good word that I prophesied concerning Israel holistically. This is a good thing. A tove, a beautiful thing, a perfect thing that I'm going to bring to completion for Judah and the house of Israel. It's going to be perfect and good, very good even, like God pronounced on the creation itself. It's a needed answer to a question here. It's a question that is on the forefront of a lot of discussion concerning world events today. Right? Was Israel in good shape at this time? 
Why did, why did Jeremiah have to talk about the house of Israel and the house of Judah? Because 10 of the 12 tribes were currently involved in active idolatry, serving golden calves at both ends of their country. They were not being faithful to Yahweh. Judah was a little better. We say this in Bible study methods class when we're going through this stuff. All the kings of Israel were terrible. Some of the kings in Judah were okay. And decent, good, you know, righteous. Judah was a little better, but all of them were kind of a, everyone has a train wreck. And he says to both of them together, the house of Israel, to the house of Judah, to the ten tribes of the northern kingdom who are in complete rebellion, and the house of Judah who occasionally felt bad about it, essentially. I'm going to keep my good word to them. I'm going to keep my good word to them. And the answer is unconditional. It is absolute. It is perfect. And it is a covenant that is applicable to both. In other words, once God makes a promise to people, he does not switch it out with somebody else. Those people will receive it. That's why it's important that you understand that the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. No contingencies. There are no as assigns. We got any real estate folks in here? It's one of those tricky things we do in real estate occasionally. If I don't want people to know that I'm the one making an offer, I have like an LLC or something. And it doesn't have my name on it. And I make the offer as the LLC. But then if my financing needs my name on it, I can switch it that day. So we can negotiate without me knowing without them knowing it was me negotiating. God doesn't pull that. God doesn't pull that. He doesn't put any as of signs in his Abrahamic covenants, right? That's the way people treat it. They'll say, oh, no, we're the spiritual recipients of Abraham's covenant. We have a spiritual land, a spiritual seed, a spiritual blessing forever. Try to tell David that he has a spiritual descendant to fulfill his covenant, that he would always have a butt to sit on the throne. And he's not going to know what you're talking about. No idea. When God promised him a king to always rule, it would be a king born of his body, period. And that's the kingdom reality and expectation. Is Israel the covenant people of God. Yes, and they never have not been since they were created. They were created by an unconditional covenant that God himself bound only himself to by his name. Period. And that hasn't changed. That helps to clarify some news stories now, doesn't it? For me it does. For me, it does. If God can, could consider the house of Israel and the house of Judah during Jeremiah's day still in receipt of their covenant, then there's no other time in which we should doubt that. 
No contingency, no as assigns, no spiritualizing, no trading spaces, no swapping, no future trades announced, right? They do in sports. We don't even know who we're going to trade for your guy, but some guy in the future will give, you, give him up to you. None of that. No contingencies. And that's relevant uh, to our church and to our nation right now because uh, there are a lot of churches right now who are afraid to name a bad guy in the war between Hamas and Israel. There's no good guys, they'll say. You need to grow a Bible spine, sir. And you can't do it overnight. Is it sad? Is it bad? Is it sorrowful that Hamas does not love the children of their own people enough not to declare war on Israel? Yes. The same way it would be terrible enough for you not to care about your children and shoot an intruder in your house to save their lives. And if you wouldn't do that, you need to grow a spine too. I hope you already have that one intact. They have an obligation to do that. The, the war was not started by Israel, and there is a bad guy, and there is a good guy. Some churches go, and a lot of them go further than that because they actually think they are a spiritualized Israel today. They are replacement theologians that believe that Israel is no longer the covenant people of God who will go beyond that and say, I'm not only going to not name a bad guy, I'm going to call Israel the bad guy. Let me explain something to you. Scripture uses a, a substantial interpretive principle called the Abrahamic blessing. Okay? So when you do that, when you claim that Israel has no right, no legitimate deed to the land that they occupy, and that's the language they use, they're just occupying the land as if they were invaders of it, you're invoking a curse on yourself, a temporal judgment of destruction, which goes all the way back to Abraham. And I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to do that up here in front of you, for you, or for us, for myself, anybody. Because I take the Bible seriously. And I know that I am not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I am responsible for loving and blessing the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I hate that people hate their own children and start a war and cause their children to suffer because of it. I do hate that. And they ought to be held accountable for it. And they are. Period. I don't see any other option. They should be ashamed of themselves. They're a disgrace as parents, if nothing else. When you rip up your own water pipes to make rockets to hate your enemy with, and then complain that the Israelis have taken your water from you, you're also not firing on all cylinders. Not the sharpest knife in the Happy Meal. They'd never put knives in Happy Meals, to my knowledge. My children came up with that one. They're weird. Anyway, there is a good guy and a bad guy. 
But the reason that they do that, and, and y'all need to understand the theology because a lot of times I hear, I, I, many times I hear from people that leave, hey, we've never found a church like El Paso Bible Church. Occasionally people get grumpy and they're like, well, there's other churches around. Well, let me tell you what most churches teach. They teach that Israel no longer has a right to that land because they apostatized. Did Israel apostatize? Yes, they did. They committed gross acts of idolatry and immorality and terrible things, horrible things, way worse than they're doing today, frankly, way worse. I have not seen an, a Molech furnace burning in Israel today, have you? No? There's a medieval death cult operating in Israel right now, but it isn't the Jews. that are doing it. They were apostate. God's unconditional covenants are unconditional. He promised to the apostate kingdom of the house of Israel and the mostly apostate kingdom of the house of Judah that the days are coming. The Messiah is coming and the good word will be fulfilled. It was a good word, a completed word, which would be brought to its perfect completion. Um, in case you're wondering, Hamas is the bad guys. I guess I should say that. Did y'all not get that? Sometimes people are like, what did you say? Did you really say they were the bad guys? Yeah. Yeah, good guys don't normally try to intimidate people by naming themselves in a, a thing that means violence in their language. You know what I mean? I know it doesn't mean that in, in Arabic, but it does. They chose it on purpose <laughs> to mean it in Hebrew. Israel is God's covenant nation. The land belongs to them, and they have a right and a responsibility to their own children and their own families to repel violence perpetrated against them with extreme violence as needed. But God says, in those days, not today, not happening today, didn't happen in Jeremiah's day, hasn't happened yet, but in those days that are still coming, in those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth. Did the righteous branch spring forth? It did. Isaiah says it's going to spring forth from a stump. Now, we have a certified arborist in our midst. Did y'all know that? Certified arborist, young Jacob. They require you to cut all your hair off. Did you know it's like a Nazarite vow? He's wearing a hat, so you didn't notice. No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't the arborist thing. Now, you could ask him, if you cut a tree down and you don't grind the stump and it sends a shoot out, what's going to happen? Going to make a tree? Sort of. Is it going to grow a lot of fruit? Probably not. Is it going to be a pain in the butt? Yeah. It's going to grow right through your chain link fence. Right? It's just going to be a mess. It's going to be a problem forever until you grind the stump out. But, but God's word in Isaiah says that that branch, supernaturally, because God has determined that it be so, will grow out of the cut off stump and be fruitful and bring, in fact, a completion to all the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that just doesn't happen unless God does it. Because normally the crap that grows out of a stump still needs to be burned. 
That's what usually needs to happen until you get Jacob to come grind it for you. Oh boy, I've made them all mad now. <laughs> I have now triggered an emergency alert with this kingdom <laughs> preaching. Goodness gracious. I told you we're unique. All right. The shoot, that's what Isaiah says. We're synthesizing some information right there. Um, springs out of what appears to be the utterly ruined line of Jesse. But it brings forth all the fulfillment of all the promises. And that's why we need to understand what the passage teaches. We know who the Messiah is. He has not completed his kingdom ministry. We're still waiting on that part of it because that's ob <laughs> I'm going to say it's obvious. All the scholars disagree. I don't care. We're still waiting on part of this. We know who the Messiah is. It's not now. It wasn't during Jesus' lifetime. It is in days that are coming. Now, you may not understand. Some people think that dispensationalists are pessimists because of this. Because we think we're not in the kingdom now. How stupid is that? Isn't that the best news you've ever heard? That we don't have to try to make this crap the kingdom? I don't have to try to shoehorn that into Jesus perfectly executing righteousness and justice from a literal throne in Jerusalem and somehow make me responsible for that? That's the best news I've heard today. I don't have to make Joe Biden a delegate of Jesus. Amen? Because what is going on with that if I have to? That's not politics, that's just common sense. No, I don't mind politics if I got to do it. Keep your politics out of my Bible and I'll keep the Bible out of your politics. No one's ever been able to do the one. It's great news because most of the people, again, try to manipulate, pry, shoehorn, melt down, remold, whatever you got to do to make us right now somehow a spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's gaining ground. Twitter, well, we can't call it Twitter now. Elon says it's X. A lot of people that consider themselves just pastors on Twitter now, you have to call them ex-pastors. I don't know if they know that. <laughs> they don't consider themselves ex-pastors, but they're on X, and that's the only congregation they have, so they're ex-pastors. Huge amounts of people who are post-millennialists that believe that we're supposed to prep this kingdom thing, and when we're ready, Jesus will bless us with his presence. He's just kind of fashionably late, right? No. 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 Perseverance is required. Obedience is required. Faithfulness is required. But Jesus will come, and he will execute justice and righteousness. That's what this says. In those days that are coming, he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. He will do it from Jerusalem, but it will be a worldwide rule over all nations. In those days, Judah will be rescued, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. I told you this was obvious, that the days are still coming, right? I mean, there's other things. Zechariah says that when Jesus comes, the Mount of Olives is going to split in two when his feet hit it. Did I miss the news story? 
Do you think the Mount of Olives splitting in two would make the news? Probably. Probably. Is Jerusalem dwelling in safety right now? No. I have a, a, a Bible exposition professor from the, my days in seminary, the first time for my master's degree, who is planning a, a trip to Israel a year from January. Boy, you are an optimist. Did you want people to sign up for that? Because you've got to sign up for these things like a year in advance because you've got to start paying your money and getting your passport and all that stuff. Well, you're an optimist. I don't think many Americans are going to sign up for that a year from January. Who knows what's going to be going on in there, right? See, like most of the time, you said, Jerusalem is not dwelling in safety. Right now, that's blare, glaringly obvious, right? No? Yes. Read some news, folks. I know I normally tell you to turn the news off. You, you can get all the news on the 24-hour news stations in less than 20 minutes in any given cycle. A day, okay? That's how they make their money. It's just marketing. But you need to know, so you don't fall for this garbage, that somehow we're in the kingdom now and we're supposed to bring here whatever. Jerusalem is not in sin, and Judah has not been delivered. You know what that means, right? That's the reestablishment of the monarchy. Going back to Genesis 49, the blessing that is pronounced on the tribe of Judah is that the scepter will not depart from between his feet until Shiloh comes, 49.11. And when Jeremiah says that Judah will be delivered, they will be delivered from the monarchy that is broken. That's how I understand that. It's two different blessings, in a way, that are connected. At minimum, I can say there is not a Davidic king ruling in Jerusalem. The house of Judah has not been delivered back into that monarchical role. But Jerusalem is not dwelling in safety. Because Jesus is not ruling from the throne of David, executing justice and righteousness over the whole earth from Jerusalem. And this is the name by which he will be called. Yahweh is our righteousness. Jerusalem will have that name. Interestingly, in chapter 23 of Jeremiah, almost an identical verse, but the Lord correlates that to the name of the Messiah. In Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 8, 6 to 8, somewhere in there. Sorry, I don't have that written down. Oh, it's verse 6, I think. Check me out, guys. Jeremiah 23, 6, and he says there that in his, in his days, singular pronoun, back when pronouns had meanings, in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called Yahweh, our righteousness. Jeremiah 33, the prophecy is that in the days that are coming, the whole city will be called that. The whole city will be called that. You're familiar with that dynamic, right? No? Sure you are. 
What do you call Jerusalem through most of the Old Testament? Latter half. The city of David. Named for the most prominent ruler, most prominent citizen of the city, the city of David. The Roman Empire, named for the ruling nation, ruling over many. Um, some people call El Paso Chuco Town, don't they? Why was it called Chuco Town? Because of its most well-known residence. Can I just say it that way? At the time. Goes back a long way. Some people call it the 915. It's the most prominent, the only, as far as I know, the only area code. One of the only major cities in Texas that only has one area code still. It's the most prominent feature. So why is that relevant? Y'all think I'm just being silly at this point. That's okay. I joined Paul's company, right, and being thought a fool occasionally. I'm not being silly. What is Jeremiah prophesying? Did Jeremiah just make a mistake? Did he just confuse? Did he just misgender somebody? You know what I mean? Did he just screw up his pronouns? No. He's saying that in the days that are coming, the Messiah's name will be assigned to that city because he will be the most famous, the most prominent citizen, the ruler of ex who executes justice and righteousness in it. There will be no doubt as to who is in charge of Jerusalem and who is ruling it and what the effects of the rule are. That's what the name will be in those days to come. So guys, I just want to caution you. The distinction matters. Knowing what we're expecting. There, there are people who believe right now that we're in the, the tribulation, the great tribulation, because their macaroni and cheese got a little expensive. It did go, I mean, like tripled in price. I buy a good bit of macaroni and cheese. Persecution, guys, for the sake of Jesus. The tuna fish got expensive. Some people think we're in the Great Tribulation. Other people look at the same events, same world, same news stories, and say, well, you know, this looks an awful lot like the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I've told you this before. That's just evidence that neither one of them know at all what they're talking about, haven't understood Scripture at all. It does matter. Because I can't think of a more hopeless truth than to try to make this the kingdom and to say that I have nothing to look forward to that is better than what we got right now on this earth. Isn't that hopeless? It's horrible. And that's what most, most, most people teach. And they think I'm depressing. I try not to be depressing. This is glorious. Fabulous. An incredible future when we simply read Scripture as it's written, that when, when the disciples were told that he will come back exactly as he left, <laughs> we're waiting on Jesus' physical return in glory. He left in his glorified state. He will return that way. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because it was one more link in understanding what we're going to expect in the days to come.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you for your word. We thank you even for the weeping prophet, especially for the weeping prophet. We thank you for the example of the true nature of your unconditional covenants, knowing that that is so critical to us and understanding how firmly established we are as your children, simply by grace through faith. And Father, we thank you for that reality. And we leave this place encouraged, knowing that this kingdom is future. And we have your son to look forward to. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with us, we'll dismiss with a song. <laughs>